As Betsy comes to read the scripture this morning, uh, again, very, very familiar words. We read this part of scripture every Christmas time. And yet, we try and create something out of it um, that is supposed to be peaceful. And yet, if you listen to some of this, it is anything but peaceful. And yet, God is here. Betsy? In that region... There were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Betsy. So as is kind of this tradition for this year, I want to keep this message a little more simple. And, and yet, there is so much to these stories. Did you know that peace is used in Scripture 424 times? 424 times that word is used. And more often than not, it is the shalom peace, the peace that passes understanding. It's a remarkable thing, and especially written in this time where, if you remember that, that scripture out of Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I just want to remind us a little bit. You know how much I love to explore biblical history, and I, I want to just remind us a little bit about what was going on in this time. If, in fact, we're going to see about this being a story of peace. <clears throat> remember that... Rome has conquered these people, and, and it is such an intense time. It is such a time of confusion, a time of hopelessness, a time where joy is very, very fleeting. It's a time where Caesar Augustus can make a decision on a whim and suddenly turn the whole of the empire upside down. And this is the case in this story, as we'll hear on Christmas Eve You know, he calls for this new tax. He calls for the people to go to their place of birth. And when I, I, 
or their place of ancestry even more so. So I want to just ask you, where are your ancestors from? I want you to think about that for just a second. And now think that the president of the world says to all of us, you must go to where your ancestry lay. For me, I would have to go to jolly old England. Dorothy would have to go to Scotland. Or Portugal, or Germany. Uh, Cora would have to go to Sunnyside, you know. But, but think about the upheaval of that, and especially in a time where you have nothing. The level of poverty in this time is at 97%. And not poverty like we think of it today. They can't even get by and are concerned about even the food that they are able to eat. They have so little. And that's, that's where this story is written. Peace? Oh, wait, it gets better. Now think about this as we look at this story. And again, we, we, I love our nativities. I love what we do with this. And I love the beauty and the feeling of this season. But until we understand what lay beneath this story, we don't truly understand the purpose of this season. Let's just walk through it one more time. Mary becomes pregnant and is not married, which is an offense worthy of death. Her betrothed, not husband, her betrothed finds out that she has cheated on him. And now he has a decision to make on whether he is part of putting her to death. But they get visited by angels, by a message that comes. In the midst of all of that comes this amazing Caesar Augustus who says, now, David and Mary, you need to go to Bethlehem, which is, at nine months pregnant, 140 miles. It's like going from here, as I said, going from here to Moses Lake, on foot, at nine months pregnant. Now you want to moan? Nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey. I pray for Mary in that. I also pray for Joseph. I mean, think about it. But in the midst of that, on that journey, what they have to do is go down 1,200 feet into the Jordan River Valley out of Nazareth, travel 100 miles down that valley, which is treacherous, climb up 1,600 feet, 1,600 feet up this incredibly steep hillside with switchbacks going back and forth. And once they crest and they wave at Jericho on their right, and they come down and they have to, before getting toward Jerusalem, have to go through a region literally called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. There's a reason that David wrote that song. Because that is a very real valley, very steep, filled with predators including human predators. And here they are, traveling, weak. Peace? Okay, so we're not done yet. So then then they travel by Jerusalem, close enough that they can almost feel the presence of the evil king, Herod, knowing that at any minute those soldiers could attack them, which they did often, especially the caravans, to take whatever they can, again, from their own people. People walking in darkness. But then they arrive. 
in this nothing little desert town, which is supposed to hold 300 people, and now is filled with five to 6,000. David's descendants were many, and all are descending on this community. And they arrive at night, this couple. They arrive at night, and they keep trying to find a place to stay. And as much as, as I said last week in with the children, we want to make the innkeeper someone who is, you know, turning them away when in fact the innkeeper, according to this child who wrote for the Huffington Post, can be really seen as the hero. And and as much as we want to say all of our nativities don't have him in them, he is definitely there because every nativity that I have ever seen has a shelter. Every single one. And that is the property of that innkeeper who listened to the call of God and found a place, but, but again, nine months pregnant, ready to deliver, in labor, comes into not a four-star, five-star hotel, but really what is more like an outbuilding to us, and maybe not even with sides, but just a roof to shelter the animals from the blazing sun of this desert. And they have to go into this place and somehow find a way for this child to be born. Then, again, I've talked at length over the last six years about the shepherds. And I love the term sore afraid. They were so afraid that they were sore. And and not peace, but overwhelmed. And then the shepherds come to worshiped this child, and everybody hated the shepherds, so less peace even in that. And then you think about the wise men. Am am I piling it on enough for you to help you understand? This is anything but a story of peace. And if we keep concentrating on it as some story of peace and beauty and understanding and all of those things that go with it, we completely miss the point. Plus, I have to throw in one more aside. Because we have to remember Elizabeth and Zechariah. Remember Elizabeth and Zechariah? Zechariah, that crazy priest who gets called into the altar of incense and lights all of that to worship God and, and comes out white as a sheet because he's had this vision of an angel, but he can't say anything. He has to like sign language the fact that his wife is going to become pregnant. Really? And then he has to go home and tell her? I mean, think about that for a second. She's 81. She's 81. But guess what happens? She becomes pregnant. And it's not just that she becomes pregnant. She becomes pregnant with possibly the most challenging young man ever in history. That he then grows up and they have to raise them at 82 years old to like 100 I just want you to think about that for a second. I mean, I'm raising a 19-year-old, and I'm 61, and I'm frustrated. Not really. I love you. Peace? Every single part of this story goes against peace. But then we go back to Luke, and we turn to Luke one more time, and here is the song of Mary. And there's a beautiful, beautiful sentence in that story, in that song, that says it all. And that is, 
with God, all things are possible, including peace in the midst of all of that. Peace in the midst of all of that. But what we have to do is open ourselves up to that peace. We have to open our souls in the midst of that peace. We have to notice what's going on around us so that we too can bring that kind of shalom peace, that kind of peace that passes understanding to others, some of whom are close to us, some of whom are distant from us. But it is part of it. And the only way we can do that is with Christ in us. At least in the way that God intends. With Christ, all things are possible. I'm looking right now at Doreen Johnson. And I'm wearing my robe for you this morning. Because when I saw you last, it was anything but peaceful. And yet here you are, and you have this look of peace about you this morning. And we were so worried about you. And yet you are so at peace. I wish you could have seen your sister last week. But, but it's that peace that we seek to bring to each other. We have a family in the church, a fairly new family in the church, who are just struggling very, very deeply um, after the loss of what they thought was going to be adopted child. And this was last week, that they were ready to go and have this, and it was pulled away. Not, not peace, not peace. And yet... What we do as a family of Christ is we surround them and support them and undergird them and lift them in these times. And it's what we do for each other. I don't know how many people have come to me in the last <coughs> month so concerned about this election and what this means. And yet I believe that we are a people of peace and that what this does is open up opportunities for us to bring peace to others. But here's, here's what I also want us to consider. It's not just about bringing peace to the world. I want to ask you this morning, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, might God be calling you to identify some people immediately around you who are in need of peace and the kind of peace that passes understanding? Right there. And that if you open yourself up to the power of Christ, you will be able to offer that peace to them. That is only one part of the equation, however. The other part of the equation, are there people around you right now who are seeking to bring you peace and you may be preventing them from doing that? There's a reciprocity in this. There is, there is a reciprocal relationship in this. And that's what we often forget pastors who challenge us to go and bring peace to others when in fact for some of us in this sanctuary today and in that first service today and in other places we may be the ones who are in need of peace but we have to open ourselves up to those kinds of opportunities it is what makes this season what it is it is like the Christmas presents under the tree that we we give and we receive. But again, what will deepen this, friends, is when we open our hearts to the love of Jesus, to the love of Christ, to be filled again 
so that we might go and do. We prayed this morning uh, at first service for those around us, particularly for whom this is a really, really hard time. And we have a blue Christmas service for some of those who are struggling or who have lost a loved one in this time. But it doesn't stop there. I just want you to think about those who are living in tents right now in this weather. Those who have nothing. And the role of us to bring them God's peace and peace of warmth and comfort. Because that is a part of the peace that we seek to bring and that we're called to bring. I think of Alexi, and I I know many of you who drove into the parking lot this morning saw that the motorhome is in the parking lot. I take responsibility for that. There were a number of times where he was sitting down on the street and cars in the ice drove by and hit his the side of his motorhome. So Dave Carver came up and limbed up those trees just a little bit, and now we have him. We're going to kind of shift him around a little bit so he's a little more. But he is also offering us more peace because he's also keeping an eye on the property. He is one of us. He's a part of our family. And it's part of our role to make sure he has what he needs as well. So I want to take a moment this morning, just in the quietness of this place, to have each of us ask those two questions that I just raised a minute ago. Might God be calling you right now to bring peace to someone around you? And if so, who might that be and how will you do that? On the other hand, might you need to open yourself up as well to someone around you who is seeking to bring a peace that passes understanding in the midst of this time. So let's take a moment, just prayerfully consider that, and then I'll close us in prayer.